You mentioned, you know, Mike Kale was kind of your rival a little bit amateur into the pro ranks. You know, this is Tank's lab and podcast. We like to get into the nitty gritty shit a little bit, you know. Okay, any, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk any, shit about somebody. <laughs> Episode 28, Tank Slapping Podcast. We're at it, baby. Back in the game. Sammy Sabedger, Sneaky Sam, co-hosting as always. Sammy, how's your week going, dude? I'm like a kid waiting to go to Disneyland. I'm so excited. Uh, I know we've talked about Indy a bunch, but uh, it's, it's pretty much the only thing to talk about in terms of racing right now. And I'm so psyched. It, it was uh, Indy special for a lot of reasons. Obviously, uh, we talked about that in the past. But I'm like a kid that's been told he's going to Disneyland. I cannot wait. Yeah, it's pretty surreal, honestly, because, I mean, heck, we thought we would never go back to Indy. And then now we have a double header there. You know, we thought we weren't racing Indy anymore. But here we are, man. So it's a little bit of a bonus for our schedule, really. It wasn't initially on the schedule. And I ain't mad about it. I I like Indy. Uh, You know, it's where I made my first Grand National main event back in 2008. It was really cool to come off the track and get thumbs up from Nikki Hayden and Kenny Roberts, or I forget who all was there, but a lot of really well-known guys came over and told me good job, and it was just a really cool experience. I really liked the racetrack. I'm more of a, I guess I'd say, a paperclip style racetrack fan. I like I like the shape of the paperclips a little bit more than the uh, the round rounderish tracks. That sounds silly because flat tracks all round, but yeah, I like more of the paperclip style racetracks. And Indy is more of a flick it in, get turned, drive it off the corner type deal, and It'll be interesting to see what the track does, Sammy. I mean, it it, it could stay a cooking for a really long time. It it, it could groove up. You know, Indy typically grooves up. So we'll have to see. It'll be uh, it'll be a good weekend, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of like up in the air. I mean, I, you know, you know, no matter what, practice is going to be pretty sweet. Uh, you know, as far as the cush goes, you know, it's going to be a pretty fun place to ride. Uh, but the last time the series was there. 2015 brad baker won it it was uh somewhat of a day race i mean it wasn't nighttime you know so and it was still a cush so day cush i don't know maybe it has i think by yeah. day two it'll definitely be a groove but could it's be hard a cush. to say it's hard to say we have that practice day on thursday then we have the race on friday and saturday when brad was there and he won in 2015 they did rush the program because there was uh, a threat of rain. I think Chris Carr mentioned to me this week that there was actually a hurricane in, uh, in the area. Uh, obviously, some aftermath of, the, of a hurricane. But, yeah, it was um, – yeah, and they rushed the program. They didn't have semis. They only had two qualifying. You know, they didn't have that extra practice. So they were uh, rushing the program. You know, I typically – in the, the the races that I've been to, it gets a really good groove on it by, like, middle of the heat races. So – It'll be interesting to see kind of where the track ends up, you know, after practice on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But regardless, it'll be it'll be exciting. I'm I'm ready for however it turns out. It doesn't really matter to me, you know. I got to go out and get the job done. So it'll be interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's the same racetrack for everyone, no matter what. Yeah, that's that's you're exactly right, Sammy. I've I've heard that a lot over my career. I've kind of just sort of adapted that philosophy along the way but before we get too far into it i want to give a shout out to our sponsors and make this show happen week in and week out they keep us going make sure you support them and check them out bell power sports all three champions from last season wore the bell race star flex check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products 
quality and safety is unmatched. And if you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Big thank you to Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, Jerry Stinchfield, a commercial and industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Commercialroofsystems.net. Check them out. Send Jerry a message on Facebook. He's he's on Facebook, Jerry Stinchfield, and just thank him for not only supporting our podcast, but supporting the sport in general. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Dunlop Tire. They're the official tire of the American Flat Track Series with their new and improved DT4 Flat Track Tire. To find the nearest dealer, visit DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Hit them up on social media and tell them the boys from Tank Slapping sent you. And also, the Moto America Series. They are the official AMA road racing series in the USA led by 190 mile hour superbikes. Did you know that Moto America viewership has exceeded 10 million already this year and offers $1 million? And Superbike Purse. Sign me up for the mill, the mill and purse money. I love it. American Road Racing is on the prowl. The next event is The Ridge up in the Pacific Northwest, August 28th and 30th. Check out MotoAmerica.com. Sign up for the Live Plus packages. Check out their coverage. A lot of flat track racers are competing in that series, and, and we enjoy it, and we like to stay on top of it. But So, Sam, we have a great guest lined up for tonight. You want to tell the fans who it is? Uh, I'm excited to announce some of you guys might know him by his nickname, The Worm. It's uh, none other than Larry Pegram. Yeah, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel if we got Pegram on right now. You know, no one would answer their phone, so, ah, shit, we'll call Pegram. But, no, nah, in all honesty, this guy is a legend. I mean, I, I looked him up online today. I just like to view these guys' Wikipedia pages just to see, like, if there's shit on there that I don't know about. I mean, I know Larry very well. He's a great guy, and... And just like all all of his results and World Superbike, you know, AMA Pro Road Racing, AMA Flat Track, you know, he had a, his own reality TV show. The the guy, you know, it it wasn't too long ago, the early Camel Pro days. You know, we talk about the Parker Car, Graham, Rusty Rogers days a lot. Peregrine was the new kid on the scene, and now yeah. he's the old guy on the <laughs> scene. So, what do you what do you know about Peregrine there, Sammy? Oh, man, I, I know he's been racing since dirt was new. <laughs> he's been around it a long time. I think he got his first win, like, back in 1991, and he's, like, he's still racing, and it's like, I mean, that's damn near 30 years, you know? So uh, he, everything you just mentioned, you know, he's had a long career. Um, you know, he's been a dirt tracker, a road racer, went on to the world stage. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's – and he's still at it. Um I can't wait to talk to him, hear a little bit more about his story. I know he's a riot and a crack up, and, and I, I know uh, he, we're in for a treat. Yeah, he's from Ohio, which hmm, we'll give him a pass on that, I guess. But I, which I got to I gotta talk to him about that because, you know, like, you know, you, you, you think Ohio, you don't necessarily think Larry Pegram, you know? Nah, you're right. It's it's more of the rotor, Moorhead, Yeah. You know, Dan Gideon, Ricky Marshall, you have the, the the cushion guys. But yeah, we'll we'll save that for when we talk to him. We'll have to get his insight on that. Uh, yeah, I'd, let's let's call Pegram, man. I, let's get right into it. I don't think we need to wait any longer. Let's uh, no, Carter, want to give give the worm a call. Hello, Larry Pegram, you legend. How are you, man? Corey Texter, Sammy Sabedra, Tank Slapping Podcast. You got the, you got the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one else would answer their phones. We're like, ah, oh, Pegram's uh -huh. not doing shit. He'll answer. Let's we'll uh -huh. call him up. 
not too many people have a home phone nowadays, man. I'm not sure if that's because you live so far out in the boonies or, or that's a sign of your age. <laughs> that is a sign of uh, I have the home line. Now, are you ready for this? For my fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They're not going to know what a fax machine is, dude. What's your page Because when my mom there? wants to send me something, my mom has to fax it to me. She doesn't know how to scan it and email it. No shit. That's awesome. That's, That's classic. Hey, did you back, you know, speaking of fax machines and pagers, did you, you used to have like your code on a pager? Like when people would call, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll put a 73 or no, something. No, I never had a pager. I had a cell phone early on, though. I was player status, you know what oh, I mean? Nice. I had a fake cell phone in my car oh. when I was like 16 because cell phones were a big deal. And I had one, of the, I had a fake antenna on my car, so it made it look like I had a cell phone. that's awesome yeah well let's get into it man i mean i personally and i know a lot of our listeners we like to hear about the amateur days for flat track like where did you race at as an amateur you know we talked about you're from ohio but who were your biggest rivals coming up through the ranks mainly in your amateur days um well it depended so i started racing when I was five, I was riding when I was three, I had an Indian 50, and then I started racing when I was five, I had a Yamaha 50, which were like 60s are now, you know, they were like five-speed, they weren't PWs, they didn't have PWs back then, and I started racing motocross, and then I did that a little bit, and we used to go to this track called Honda Hills, and they had a flat track up on top of it, and I would always sneak up there, so then my dad said, you want to do that, and that was it, so I started flat tracking, and uh and so my grandpa raced, my dad raced, and then I raced. So I was flat track, and I used to race this kid named Jesse Roeder, uh, you know, the Roeders. And um, me and Jesse, I would always go at it on 50s and 60s and 80s. And then at the Nationals, I'd go at it with Mike Hale. He was from Texas. So it's funny. I won the 50cc National in 1981 in Niles, Michigan, and Mike Hale protested me for engine displacement <laughs> and i won my engine was stock but uh it was just funny because he had won the, the nationals the year before and i won that year and, it's, and they protested us to said our bike wasn't legal or something and and it was stock so it was good and uh then me and mike battled all the way through junior year novice year rookie expert year i got hurt and uh you know we always battled and uh now we're probably we were always good friends growing up though too i don't know you know we were we were rivals but we were good friends so it was fun man from uh you know indian to to indian you know you know from the start you were on indian and now you're on indian talk about coming full circle but uh you mentioned you know the junior class a little bit and that's something that we don't get to talk about uh, too often, um, you know, for some of our younger listeners, I guess if you're under maybe 30 or something like that, you may not be too uh, familiar with the junior class, but it was much, uh, it was the stepping stone to the Grand National Expert class, much like the uh, the production twins or the 450 singles are today. Anyway, you are a product of that uh, junior class, and, um, you know, you wrote for Ron Wood uh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, that was a really big deal back in those days. So, you know, it's always good. You know, we can't talk to Ron now, but it's always good when we can talk to somebody that knew Ron and wrote for Ron. And, um, you know, I just kind of like to hear about some of your best memories from your junior years and maybe a little story or two that, you know, you might have tucked away about Ron Wood. 
funny because, you know, there used to be a guy named Mike Camphouse, and he used to build the bikes for a guy named Brian Valilla and some of the other kind of Michigan guys. So as I grew up as an amateur, Ohio, you could race everywhere. And then as I got a little bit older, 12, 13, 14, 15, everybody started racing in Michigan because the Ohio tracks started kind of going away. But it was always pea gravel, half miles mainly. And uh, I met this guy named Mike Camphouse, and he was, he was kind of Ron Wood's East Coast guy. He knew, and he was real meticulous, and so that's kind of how I got introduced to Ron. And then I, you know, I was running up front as a novice, and and had I had won at the time, I had won more amateur nationals than anybody had ever won. So Ron knew who I was, and I met Ron. What was funny was, <laughs> back in the day, you know, Ron was very, very high class kind of guy. You know, he he, but he was so meticulous, and he was so clean. I guess is the word I'd look for that I was, I was afraid he was gay. Not that there's a bad thing with being gay, but back then it was a different story. Here's this guy, he's a little bit older. I was 16. He's like, hey, I want you to come out and stay at my house and ride my bike. And I was like, oh, man, this guy, he's, he's too meticulous. <laughs> he's like, he's too perfect. And it was funny. So I got and stayed at his house and it took me about five minutes to realize, no, he likes girls. <laughs> but Ron was, uh, Ron was one of those guys, man, that just – it was funny because I would say that one of the best – people that ever rode for Ron was Kevin Atherton. So Kevin, I think Kevin learned a lot from Ron and I think he admired Ron because Kevin was, Ron was the kind of guy that was like, everything was perfect. And, and Kevin's dad was that way. Dave Atherton with Kevin's bikes. I mean, they were just meticulous to the, to, to the point where you were afraid to get them dirty. And then Ron was that way. And then, you know, Ron would drink a martini and Kevin started drinking martinis, and, and they became really close. And I think Kevin was probably the most successful guy on, on Ron's bikes other than maybe Chris Carr. And uh, Ron was just a neat guy, man. He, he, could, he could make anything better. Yeah, that guy is a legend. I, I love looking at just pictures of his bikes. You know, I never got to ride one, but, yeah, that's, that's some interesting stuff. I mean, you talk about, you, talk about your, you, you kind of got into your pro stuff a little bit, but – want to get into that i was telling sammy before we called you that you know the early 90s you watched these old videos on youtube with chris carr ricky graham scott parker and here's you know you're the rookie coming up through and they talk about the young gun larry pegram and you know winning your first national and competing with some of the greatest ever do it at such a young age um it's just crazy how everything comes you know it's just the circle of racing and and you know you're still at it still doing it you know you've had a long career and i like to kind of ask guys in different eras that have raced a few different ones you know how is the talent level today versus the talent level on the camel pro days you know you have the you have the arguments in flat track and sports in general you know the jordan versus lebron and the you know the jared meeses versus the scott parkers but you've gotten the race a lot of different dudes and and how is the how does the talent level compare really well i think the guys now are are better i don't think you can go to any sport in the world, really, probably, and say that guys aren't better. You know, the golfers are better, the motocross guys are better, the the flat track guys are better because they train. I mean, here here's an example. Talent-wise, are they better? No, talent's talent. You know what I mean? And 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 depth-wise, you know, a guy like Robert Pearson, who has the opportunity to win on any given night, but he's probably a fourth, fifth place guy majority of the time. You know, and and, and is always solid, is always there. There were. 15 of him at every race, you know, there was, there was five Robert Pearsons didn't make the main event back then. You know, there was 40 guys and it was, it was tough, but 
Was it harder to win? When Chris and Scotty were going at it, there was four or five years there where those guys, if you won a race, you did something because the, their, their equipment was a little bit superior. It was kind of after the Honda days and before I think Dirt Track kind of went downhill a little bit. You know, when, when, right when Camel was in it and the Honda guys had pulled out, it was it was Chris and Scotty every weekend. And every once in a while, you could sneak a win in there. It was, you know, 91, 92, 93, 94 in there. Uh, and it was a stacked field. But they were, you know, I, I went out in Dallas, Texas in 1993. I had gotten hurt in 93. It's when I started road racing. And I broke my femur, my knee, and my hip at, at Phoenix, the first superbike race of the year. And it was only my fourth superbike race of my life, but I, I fell off, hit oil. Donald Jackson's Yoshimura Suzuki blew up. I hit the wall at Phoenix. My first couple races back, one of them was, was Devil's Bowl, which we're going back to, and I ended up qualifying on the pole. But the funny thing was it was a Saturday night race. Friday night I'm hanging out with Willie McCoy, who I used to always hang out with, Willie and Scott Stump and, and Rotors and, and Mike Hale and Kevin Atherton. We all, we all hung out. But that night I was in Dallas with Willie McCoy, and we were running around. We were on Harry Hines Boulevard, and people know what that means. And we were going out, and I was 21 years old at the time because it was 93. And I was coming back from a bad injury. And we were out late, and I remember it was a Saturday night race, but this was Friday night. We weren't drinking, but so we ended up in a, in a, in a bar where possibly women took their clothes off. I don't remember. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I see Steve Moorhead, Jay Springsteen, Rodney Ferris, everybody I was racing the next night, and they're hammered. I mean hammered. And I, all of a sudden, I was like, well, I don't feel that bad being out late the night before a race. These guys are all hammered. And, and that's how it was back then. Then it became you didn't party the night before the race. Now these guys would feel guilty. You know, Jared Meese and, and Breyer would feel guilty if they didn't eat right the night before the race, let alone if they went out drinking all night the night before the race. So these guys are just better athletes. So is it, is it easier to win now? No way. It's harder. But is it easier to get 15th now? For sure. You know, I mean, the, the depth isn't there. But these guys are better athletes than they ever were. And I think, you know, are they faster for one lap? No. They're, you know, I think probably the most naturally talented guy I ever rode a motorcycle with was a sober Ricky Graham um, and, or a sober Garth Brow, to be honest with you. And I didn't get a ride that much with Garth. But a sober Ricky Graham was pretty much unbelievable on a motorcycle. But he was sober maybe, you know, 5% of the time that I knew him. So, And when I say sober, I mean he had to be – you know, sober, not just sober at that moment, sober for the whole year in training. I mean, the guy was unreal, which was 93, you know, and that's, that's when he just killed everybody, made him look stupid. Bob, you know, that was a really hard question, you know, that a lot of people, you know, it's very debatable, and I think that was the best I've ever heard anyone answer that question. Uh, so that, that was, that was I enjoyed that answer, Larry. You know, you talked about your, um, you know, you brought up a memory. You know, I hate to talk about bad memories, but you talked about that Phoenix crash. And I was like, oh, man, I remember that from, like, watching that on uh, Moto World back in the day. You know, I was like, that yeah. was a crazy crash. And then, you know, uh, like I said, I hate to bring up crashes, but um, your rookie year, I mean, there's, you know, you, you think of rookies and, you, you know, you talk to Mike Hale, you mentioned Mike Hale and, you, you know, his 12 in and he had a pretty good rookie year and you had a phenomenal junior career. And then all of a sudden you're like on the scene as a national number. Like there's not a lot of pictures or things I, I recall seeing of you as an expert riding with 73 F. Uh, 
Uh, did that have anything yeah. to do with your crash at Sacramento? Or? Yeah, exactly. So oh. I, I showed, we, we did the novice, my novice year. So back then you had to be a novice for six months minimum. Yeah. You had to be 16 to turn pro. You had to be a novice for six months, which was a, was a, if I think it was a 500 CC limit. So we, everybody ran road taxes. So you could make them 500 or 600. You had to be six months and you had to get a certain number of points. So I turned 16 in September and I immediately got enough points through the last few races of the year. Back then you could race, you know, uh, uh, regionals and stuff. There was races every, every weekend. And then I did the indoor ice race series, which I don't know if you guys ever did any of those, but they're so much fun. But I know, I know Corey, you do a lot of, uh, um, indoor stuff over there at Timonium and stuff. So I know, you know, the indoor stuff well, but anyway, I turned junior for Daytona and, you know, I wanted to be the top junior, you know, Chris Carr had been top junior and then Kevin Atherton had done it. So, you know, my goal was to be top junior and, and me and Mike Hale just went at it. And I think Mike beat me by one or two points. Like we just went at it the whole year. And it was, it was a pretty stacked field back then, but most of the guys, you know, you heard of then didn't really, didn't make it. And then, but then we were going to go at it again for our rookie year. We went to Daytona. We both make, made the first national short track there, Daytona. Um, I don't, I don't remember who beat who, but then the next race was Sacramento, and I got hurt on the press day and broke my femur in my arm and missed about half the season. And then uh, I was riding for Johnny Goad, and, and uh, Skip Eakin was kind of helping him with the Hondas back then. And, uh, and Rusty Rogers filled in for me, and Rusty started doing good, and Johnny kind of gave the ride to Rusty for the rest of the year. And, and so I ended up actually riding skip spikes for the last four or five races of, of 1990 and then made a deal for him with skip in 91. And it was the deal I had with skip, which skip was cool. I can tell you a lot of cool stories about skip. He was, he scared me because he was just, he was the most no, no nonsense. He was so smart, but he just didn't, he didn't horseplay. You know what I mean? He just didn't do it, which is funny because you know, it was Bubba Schubert's mechanic, and Bubba was like the king of horseplay and pulling pranks on people. But anyway, so Skip made a deal with me. He was going to have Ricky Graham ride his bike, and Mike Sponsor sponsored the team. He was going to have Ricky as the A rider. I was going to be the B rider, and uh, and I was going to have to pay for my rebuilds and something else, and I had to give him 20% of the money. I don't remember how it did. Basically, I was kind of funding it myself. So we went to the first – the first race was, uh, uh, and on 600s, I'd ride my own stuff. So we went to Daytona, and I don't remember what we did, but then we went to Sacramento, and I got fourth in the race, and Ricky got sixth. And Ricky was, that was when I first kind of met Ricky. And we left, uh, Skip was having heart problems, and we went to the Fresno race, which was a 600 national. Back then, they had juniors and, and experts. And so we went to the 600 race, and Skip was, or uh, Ricky was riding Skip's bike, and I was riding my own. And so that night we went we went out and we, everybody was drinking and chasing girls and everything. So we get up the next morning and I was supposed to go stay at Ricky's house in Salinas. And uh, Ricky got hammered the night before, but everybody was. And and so we left the racetrack and Ricky says, "Hey man, pull in this grocery store." Now this this is Ricky Graham. He's several time national champion and and if you knew Ricky back then. He would tell you that. Hey, I'm Ricky Graham. I'm several time national champion, uh, and I was I was basically a rookie. It was really my rookie year. So I pull in this, this grocery store at 10 a.m. and he goes in. He comes walking out with a you know paper bag with a bottle of vodka in it. <clears throat> and we left Fresno and we were driving to Salinas and and uh, he proceeded to drink the whole bottle of vodka and a half gallon orange juice 
pass out in the seat and it just blew me away because I at that age I was I was uh you know 17 or 18 and <clears throat> I hadn't been around anything like that and that's what kind of opened my eye to it and I stayed with him for about a week and and you know he was just he was just in a bad spot and uh and I went and stayed with my buddy Paul Pohemus who I used to always stay with on the west coast and Jose Aguilar which I used to stay with all those guys and, and met him through Chris Carr and just great all Lodi guys so anyway Ricky um and I stayed friends, but Ricky didn't show up at the next race at Pomona because he was drunk. And Skip ended up giving him another chance. He didn't show up, and he fired him. So then I moved into the number one spot, and I was the only rider for the team. And that was kind of it. After that, I started winning races in 91 and 92, and I was Skip's rider. And we just had a – back then, it was a 50-50 deal. But, man, you could make you could make so much money back then comparative – you know, to what money was. You had the Camel Challenge, which you could win ten grand, and if you just made it, if you qualified in the top six, last place in the Camel Challenge paid fifteen hundred bucks, and you made five five grand to win the race, ten grand to win the Camel Challenge, and Honda Oyandor Harley would pay you five grand. So you could make twenty thousand dollars a night if you won all, you know, the Camel Challenge and the main, and you know you could get. A, a tire was seventy bucks, and and a hotel room was thirty bucks, and and you know you could buy a really 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 nice house for a hundred grand back then. So it was it was it was a good time, and and I think my rookie well it was my rookie year ninety one. I made a hundred and sixty two thousand dollars in purse money and camel money and everything that year, and I had to split that with Skip. But uh, you know, I was an eighteen-year-old kid making more money than I ever dreamed, <laughs> and having more fun than I ever dreamed. I, I think those early years of racing and traveling around the country and learning a lot from Skip. It was funny. We we would go travel, and and he would just, you know, I didn't realize it. I was eighteen years old, but here's one of the smartest guys I've probably ever met in my life, teaching me a lot of things about life. And my dad was going to a lot of the races too, so it was pretty pretty neat. I didn't realize it at the time how much knowledge I was gaining, not just about racing, but just about life and uh, and traveling around thinking, oh, I want to be a factory road racer so I can fly everywhere and do all this. But some of the most fun I had was traveling in our vans and the the stuff that we would run into, <laughs> you know, <laughs> traveling across the country, as you guys know, with your buddies in vans. I mean, it was uh, it was some pretty pretty fun stuff. Yeah, the stories, the van stories, a lot of them never get discussed outside of the uh, the inner circle. But uh, you talk about, you know, dirt track and, and, you know, there was money up for grabs back then. You know, it wasn't really like, you know, the, when Nikki Hayden turned pro and those guys, there wasn't really much for them in dirt track. You know, you just yeah. mentioned that there was a lot there was a lot up for grabs at the time and you still made the transition over to the pavement. So. Um, I wanted just to touch upon it, you know, um, what, what made that decision for you? Like what, at what point in your career were you like, man, I'm, I'm going to be a road racer. I want to go, I want to, you know, hang up the steel shoe. You know, when I was, I was pretty young. I mean, you know, I, I was, you know, a huge Jay Springsteen fan and, 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 and knew all those guys as I was growing up and I was doing really well as an amateur, even on eighties and one twenty five. So got respect from those guys and would talk to them. But, you know, back in the early days and when I was a kid, you still had to do both to win the grand national championship up to, I think 84, or 85, you still to win the grand national, you had to run, you know, Bubba and, and all those guys, you know, had to run them both. So, and then I saw what Kenny had done and what Wayne had done and what Bubba had done and, and what Kevin Schwantz had done and Eddie 
Lawson. They were all dirt track guys that had made went over and became world champion and 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 did it and made a lot of money. And I I wanted to do the same thing. You know that was my goal and and I was. I was on my way to that, to be honest with you. I think I was on my way to, you know, uh, going straight pretty quickly to the world championship. I, I started road racing um, because of Jim France. He, you know, he used to have the deal because he was trying to keep road uh, flat track guys road racing when the when the Grand National Championship uh, didn't have to be road racing anymore. And he used to give you money if you're in the top 20 in points and you you were the top dirt tracker in the Daytona 200. You'd get, uh, I think it was either eight or ten grand, and he'd give you a little bit of money to rent a bike. Which back then, you know, you could rent a bike for five grand for the race, which is crazy now. You'd spend more than that in tires. Uh, so I had never road raced before, and I showed up at Daytona and rented a bike. And this, this is a good story. So I, I show up at Daytona, never road raced before, but because I had a uh, in '91, I had a national number that automatically gave you a national number in road racing or Supercross or any other pro thing you wanted to ride back then. So I show up there and never road raced, and I rented a bike off a guy named Jimmy Adamo. And, Corey, you, you may know him from the East Coast over there. So he was a big Ducati yeah. guy and had some good bikes. And, and so I went out in the first – back then they didn't have tire warmers. So Skip, Skip was kind of mad at me because it was 92 and we were doing really good, and, and he wanted me to concentrate on the, on the flat track. But I said, dude, I want to do this. So we, we show up at the track, and Skip goes, I'm not helping you at all. You know, this is not my deal. I'll, help, I'll, I'll come watch. So I was getting ready to go out for the first practice, and he says, listen, don't go out in the first corner and high side the thing because that's what everybody does. Cold tires, you don't have tire warmers. You go out of the pits, and back then they didn't have dual compound tires. They had one bowling ball hard tire, and it's, you know, 50 degrees in Daytona. So I go out of the pits, never road race, <laughs> turn right, go into the horseshoe. I swear to God to this day, I was sitting straight up and down, touched the gas, and it goes, and high side of me. <laughs> so they come in. I didn't get any practice, obviously. They fix the bike. I go out in the next practice. The bike blows the head gasket on the second lap. So now I have zero practice. So now Skip's like standing back, but he doesn't want to help. But Jimmy Adamo's stuff at the time was pretty uh, – pretty, um, uh, you know, it just wasn't real tight, tight. It wasn't a tight program. So I went out in the next practice and blew a head gasket again. Well, then Skip gets involved. So he's like, yeah, the head's warped. That's why he keeps blowing the head gasket. And he goes over to Honda, which, you know, he had been the Honda factory mechanic. So he knew uh, Ray Plum and Merlin Plumley and, and everybody over there. And, and he borrows their uh, grinder it, it, um, flat surface. And we, we mill the head. And I go back out and I get a full practice in. And I'm, I'm pretty fast, you know, through the left-handers, but through the right-handers, I'm just atrocious. And I'm using all rear brake and no front brake. So uh, Skip comes in, and, and he says, man, that, that horseshoe, you're just getting killed in there. So I, I, next practice, I go out, and Doug Poland, who was world champion at the time, <laughs> comes by me coming out of turn one, and I just followed him towards the horseshoe. And I thought, well, when he breaks, I'll break. When he turns, I'll turn. I'll figure this out. And he broke. And then I broke, and he turned, and I crashed. And so, <laughs> and so that didn't work, so we had to fix the bike again. And then it blew the head gasket two more times. So then Skip, this is typical Skip, he goes to sponsor and he goes, man, you know, they, Honda's got last year's factory RC30 sitting there. They're selling it for twenty five grand. let us just buy it. I can't take this anymore. So sponsor and him decide they're going to buy this bike, and I get a factory bike, basically, uh, in my first road race. 
and ended up going out and finishing like 16th in the race. And and uh, Jay Springsteen actually beat me by one spot and got the 10 grand, and I got like eight grand. So now we've got a full factory RC30. And Mike Sponsor says, "Well, hey, go to a couple more of these when you're, you know, when you're out on the West Coast. Why don't you go do Laguna while you're out there doing Sacramento and San Jose and everything?" So I went to the next one at San Jose, or I mean at uh, Laguna, and I got like 12th. And then I went. The next one was at Charlotte, and I qualified 10th, and I was the top non-factory rider. And Honda offered me a contract for the next year for '94. Um, and I was pretty stupid. I decided I wanted to still dirt track, so I wanted to do it part-time. So basically what they did was they took that bike that Skip had, and they upgraded it. And we went to Phoenix for the first race. I was going to do some of the road races and some of the dirt tracks, and that's where uh, I was running sixth in the race, and, and Donald Jack's bike blew up in front of me, and I hit the wall. And then after that, you know, my hip was pretty screwed up. and. And I was supposed to start riding Honda's 600 at Laguna that year and, and, and by the next year be a factory rider. And, and lo and behold, my, my arch rival got the deal because he wasn't hurt and they thought I was, was damaged good. So it was funny that Mike got it and, and he got a factory ride with Honda and I ended up riding for Arian and then moving up to Farachi and stuff. But I never, I could never ride the same not mentally, but physically, you know, on the road race bike. And, and a lot for the dirt track, too. I mean, my, it was my left leg, so it affected me a lot physically. I just was never strong. Now, flat track-wise, now I've got my leg strong enough that it doesn't affect me, but I still can't. I don't have the range of motion with my hip, so I still can't hang off the bike as much. So I always, would always road race, and I wouldn't be able to hang off the bike so I felt slow. I knew I needed to get off the bike more so that I didn't have so much lean angle. So I knew I wasn't going fast enough, but mentally it was slow to me, but I couldn't go any quicker. So it, 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 and, uh, it, it affected me for sure. I think I, I think I would have definitely raced in the world championship, whether I'd been world champion, I don't know, but I, I would have definitely got a little further. Interesting stuff, man. Definitely interesting stuff. You know, and, and it's I always love hearing about, you know, people's careers and, you know, the inside stories and stuff like that. But, you know, this is tank slapping. And uh, so I like to take it down a couple notches. And, uh, you know, I, I know you, you mentioned you were like, you know, a pretty young guy traveling out west and hanging out with guys like Ricky Graham and whatnot. But uh, outside of racing, I, I mean, you know, obviously that's been your career. But, you know, I, did you ever have a normal nine to five, you know, at any point in your life where you're 15 bagging groceries or anything like now, that? Just now, that's all. That's why I, 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 you know, I look at it and I say to myself, you know, I spent my whole life racing motorcycles and I made a good living doing it. You know, I, I didn't I didn't save anything from 89s when I turned pro. So I didn't save anything from 89 to 99. I lived well. I had a, I had a house, but that was about it, you know, but it wasn't paid for. The bank owned it, but I had fun. And from from 2000 to 2015, when I basically retired, uh, I saved every penny. <laughs> so, you know, I saved my money, and then obviously now I own, uh, you know, I own a, uh, a medical marijuana cultivation dispensaries in Ohio, and and uh, you know I work 80 hours a week now, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, it's not it's it's a job that's going to be very it's going to pay off here, you know, soon. And, and so, but when I look back at it, I say, well, would I have been better off to work the first, you know, 20 years of my life and, or, or the last, well, I hope it ain't my last 20 years, but you know what I mean? That <laughs> towards the end of it. And I think I, I definitely, I wouldn't change a thing. Cause I, I really enjoyed what I got to do. You know I mean? 
when I look back on it, you know, just like hitting that wall in Phoenix, it was a bad deal, but I've, I've had a lot of fun. You know, I, I didn't go to Europe and race, and maybe I would have turned into a, you know, a, a, a MotoGP, you know, dickhead. I don't know what would have happened to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been in in Florida. 20 years ago racing in Daytona and, and met my wife, you know? So, I mean, it, everything happens for a reason and my life has been a lot of fun and, you know, and, you know, I was really, um, I was always really tight with the Haydens. When I said we used to race a bunch of Michigan and then towards the end, we started racing a bunch in Kentucky because for some reason, Ohio just didn't, didn't, uh, just didn't have that many races anymore. And so we got really tight with Hayden's. We used to travel with them a bunch and I was older than all the Hayden's and, and, and then as we grew up, I just stayed really, really close with them. And, and I was really tight with Nikki and, you know, I'd kind of retired and, you know, I, my wife has never told me anything, you know, she's never said, I want you to quit racing, especially the deal I had with my wife was when I didn't make a living at it, I wouldn't do it anymore. And she was always fine with that. You know, that was kind of our deal. And then, you know, I was bored a little bit and I was just feeling like I wasn't doing much after I retired. And, and I was doing like a one race a year, like the X games or something. And then I wanted to race and, and I just, you know, that deal happened with Nikki and I just told her, you know, I just said, listen, when it happens, it's going to happen. You know, I just, I can't live worrying about, I just want to go live. You know, I'm not, I promise I won't do anything stupid. I'm not going to try to pass a guy on the outside on the last lap to, you know, for fourth place, you know, with, with a, with a 50, 50 chance of making it through the corner. But I want, I want to go live. You know, I, I, I think guys like us and you guys know, I mean, Corey, I mean, we we've done there's been moments where something's happened you know and you did something that you didn't think you could do you know it's like you know you won a race or you, you won your title last year you know you did something that was so far from what you could do and it may just be a one corner you may have went around the outside of somebody somewhere and you were like holy crap that was a phenomenal thing i may never be able to do that but that feeling you get at that moment is, is more living than, than some people ever do in their whole life. And, and so we're, I think it's like a drug for me. It's not, it's not the adrenaline. It's just being able to do something at a point where the people go, how did that happen? You know, yeah. it's just a, you know, it's like when I, when, when I had won super bike races and then I had been hurt and then it was a 10 years between winning, when you try to do something for 10 years and then I won that race, there is no feeling in the world like when I when I knew I was going to win coming off the last corner, like I, I, I that is a drug that nobody could ever produce, and so now you're always trying to get that that one more time, you know. So I'm I'm doing it now because I love the camaraderie. I love hanging out with the guys. I think I I love joking around with people. I'm just trying to enjoy myself doing the racing now, but I also want to get that feeling again. I'd love to win another race, you know. And and, and I felt like last year, you know, a couple of the heat races when I won. My biggest issue is I just don't have the time to put in to be able to beat these guys. You know, like you asked me 20 years ago, I could win a race because nobody else was in shape back then either. And they weren't thinking about it. They were too busy partying. But now these guys are just, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're the same on the last lap as they are the first lap. Yeah, the feeling you described, like I know exactly what you're talking about, but I've never been able to kind of, pinpoint it really to where i can't explain it and to somebody that hasn't had it you know it's 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 a 
you know, not to compare ourselves with Michael Jordan, but it's, you know, it's a buzzer beater shot to win game seven of the NBA finals and you make it like yeah, that feeling. You can't explain it, you know, yeah, and, and nobody that yeah. hasn't had that happen can, can feel that. And it's not even for me. I mean, for me personally, like, I don't think about the money. I don't think about anything. I really, I, everything I work toward is, is that feeling you describe, like, you know, after a good race weekend and you're driving home, I don't think about how much money I made ever. I mean, that's just me. I know other guys are wired differently, but I think about how it made me feel and, and how all the hard work paid off. And yeah, just that feeling that you described, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Cause I, uh, I could relate to that a lot. Um, yeah, so that was, that was some good insight. Well, I got a couple more questions for you. We'll let you, uh, let you go. But, um, yeah, I kind of, uh, you mentioned, you know, Mike Hale was kind of your rival a little bit amateur into the pro ranks. You know, this is tanks lab and podcast. We like to get into the nitty gritty shit a little bit, you know? Okay. Any, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk shit about somebody. Any major rivals as a pro fist fights in the pits. I mean, I know. Matt hated that fucker. <laughs> Uh, can I say that? I don't know if you can yeah, say you that can on this. Say anyway, it, hell yeah. hated him to the point where when I rode for Yoshimura in '97 and '90, I rode for Yoshimura, I rode for Farachi in '96, and then I made a two-year deal with Yosh '97 and '98. He went to Farachi when I went to Yosh. So then '98 he came back to Yosh, and he shows up at the Daytona tire test in December, and he walks in to the thing, and it was me, Pascal Picasso, Steve Crevier, and, and him. There's four riders, right, in 98. It was crazy, and they had two trucks, and that's when they stuck me on that TL-1000 piece of crap. But anyway, he walks into the truck, and it's just me and him in the truck, and I don't really know him. And he goes, hey, see this hole right here? So they had, like, these cubby holes where you could put your stuff in the truck. He goes, this is my fucking hole. I find any of your shit in my hole, I'm going to throw it in the trash. Okay, dude, yeah, whatever, you know. And then he goes, I find anybody else's shit in my hole, I'm going to throw it in the trash. And I go, well, guess what? If I find any of your shit in my hole, I'm going to throw it in the fucking trash. So then we just, you know, it was just a, a bad start. And then we were at Laguna testing, and it was raining, so nobody was riding. And me and Steve Crevier, I don't know if you know Steve Crevier, but the dude yeah, is total, yep. total joker all the time. What well, love to have fun. And we're out on the, the – Yoshimura had four of these little – I think they were 80s or 50 quads, and each rider had his own. It was like our pit bike. And so we're out screwing around in the rain, and everybody's kind of laughing at us and watching us. And we're kind of so I was on Matt's bike, and I wasn't on mine, but nobody cared. So Matt comes walking out in front of everybody. He's like, "See that number? Get off that bike! Don't tear my bike up!" So anyway, we're we're testing again at Willow Springs, and I see him on my bike, and I'm pulling into the pits, and the mechanics are standing there, and I drop the bike almost, getting off of it <laughs> so fast. I go running over to Matt. I'm like, "See that number? Get off that bike!" And then we start rolling around on the ground, and Don Sakakura had to separate us so yeah i hated that guy and and never got along with him and then we got in a fight at kansas in 2009 and not really a fight he, he threatened to, to to punch me and then i tried to get him to do it and 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 but then you know i just never liked him and then obviously you see in the press what a piece of shit he was so i guess i was right all along <laughs> classic love man love classic it. love it oh man I, i'm feeling I'm, I'm feeling that tumble on the ground <laughs> uh, yeah I, he, he just he he tried to intimidate everybody but i i just have this thing if somebody i feel like you know i i don't know i just i have a heart well, you I, can't I'm intimidate stupid. a dirt tracker the same way you can intimidate right. somebody that grew up rotary like we don't it's a different yeah. vibe like you know what i mean when you fired back well don't yeah. put any shit in my hole that's the yeah. C-Tex vibe I would give off too, or you know, I mean, yeah. like, yo, buddy, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I love it. 
That is great. That is good stuff. Uh, You know, uh, we mentioned some stories in vans, man. Everybody's got a van story, a breakdown story, a a worst guy to travel with or, or, you know, the best guy to travel with, but at the time is the worst. I mean, uh, I know you hung out with uh, West Coast guys like Hoser and Steve Mayfield and Behemoth and all those guys. You remember Steve Rasmussen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Steve Rasmussen was this dude that was our age, but he wasn't quite as good a rider. He was just nuts, man. The dude was nuts. So he he also had a lot of other uh, extracurricular activities. Uh, they ended up with a box van that was pieced out, and he had buried buses in his yard to grow weed. So the dude was just nuts. But And, and, and he ended up dying, obviously, on a motorcycle on the street because he was. He, I heard he was trying to pass a car on the berm or something. But anyway, that, that dude, <laughs> there was a guy that raced, and he was sponsored by U-Haul, and I think his name was Ray Dugan. Yeah, Ray Dugan, so, 25G, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, But he had some corporate deal with, he he worked for U-Haul. Somehow he was like his family owned party. I don't know what the deal was. So they don't sell U-Haul. Back then, I don't know if they do now. Back then, they did not sell U-Hauls. When they were old, they would crush them, right? They wouldn't sell U-Haul box vans. Well, that little group had a box van, but it was a U-Haul box van. Now, obviously, they had acquired it uh, very cheaply, if you know what I mean. And so Ray Dugan shows up at Springfield one time, and he's looking at their box. <laughs> And he's like, hey, man, where'd you guys get this? And, and they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And he starts kind of investigating it. And then that Rasmussen kid basically told him he was going to kill him if he, right. <laughs> if he did anything. <laughs> but that guy, was, that guy was nuts, man. And we, we were one time we were going down the freeway, and we were traveling to Oklahoma City, and we were in Ohio. We were, going, we were like in the middle of nowhere. And so – we used to have, my mom used to always make me a food basket, and these guys would always make fun of me, but my mom would have, like, squirt cheese in it, peanut butter, bread, Doritos, you know, everything. She'd have me a little snack basket, and you'd have a cooler. We'd be traveling all over some vans, and I'd, like, put that cheese, spray cheese out the window and just hit the button and just spray the dude behind me with the cheese all over the windshield, or we'd throw <laughs> peanut butter or whatever. And so my buddy Paul Hemus and, and Hoser, we all had diesels, but theirs that would shut off at 78, and mine would go 85. So when I would spray them down with stuff, they'd try to pass me, and they could never pass me. So I'm spraying them down with stuff, and they're right behind me, and then the guy behind them thinks that they're doing it to him. So he comes <laughs> by, and he throws a glass bottle on the hood of their thing and cracks their windshield. So we start chasing this guy out in the middle of nowhere, and we're on the CB, and then these truck drivers run this guy off the road (laughs) because they think he ran it because they were saying, yeah, we're a truck driver, and this guy threw a bottle, and they run him off the road. We catch this guy, and he's crying. He's literally crying. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. And we we just let him go. But it was like we were were telling the truck drivers, run him off the road, and they did. And they were like, oh, shit. (laughs) This guy said they ran that dude off the road. (laughs) Uh, that's one of the many that was that was a nightly occurrence yeah i mean that's gold (laughs) you you hung out a lot with scott stump and that's scott's one of my buddies and and uh he kind of fills me in on some of them some of his stories and i'm like yeah holy shit dude that's next level stuff and it's always it's always 
Scott always, would always and, get us in trouble. Pedro. He would his mouth would always get us in trouble. Like I was no. mouthy. Scott was way worse. Scott was just over the top. On per- and then he'd be the one like, "Where's Scott go? Well, he started all this. Now he's gone." <laughs> uh, what do you mean was the worst? <laughs> he's still yeah. the same Scott Stump today. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I miss those days, man. We used to have we we had so much fun, dude. We we really did. It was it was. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see. And it's unfortunate because I just don't think that these kids can have that much fun. You know, I mean, you mentioned it, dude. It's different. Like the training and shit. Nobody wants to like people are like weird about having a beer like the the week of the race. It's like uh, it's like, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's uh, it's it's not even just not even just training, just the stuff we did and said to people, you know, now. I mean, you can't, you can't, not, and I got to be honest, you know, we didn't treat, we didn't do anything wrong, so to speak, with girls, but we said some pretty, well, you know, hey, you want to, you know what I mean? Like, and nowadays you can't talk like that, you know what I mean? It's just a different time, and, 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 and the boys nowadays, you know, are just, they're just not as manly. That's the word I would well, dude, use. they don't have to call girls. They just text them all the time. Like, the kids <laughs> right. I talk to, they're like, I had to call my, my chick's mom and, and, like, ask for permission yeah. to talk to her. I had to call the house phone. It's like, Call their hey. house, and their dad would answer the phone. You know uh-huh. what I mean? And you'd be like, can I talk to so-and-so? Who's this? Uh, this is Larry, sir. Uh, may I speak to her, please, sir? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. it, it was bad, and you had to go pick them up, and then, it was just a different time, you know. I mean, it was, it was, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, I mean, you know, me and Scott talked about it too. It's like, you know, we weren't good looking guys, but we would get women that were way out of our league. And it was because we, we charmed them, you know, we, we, we talked, we talked the pants off of them. And nowadays, you, it's all basically you just swipe the thing. It's like, well, we would have never got any women. Scott, we were ugly. Nobody swiped, but we were getting the swipe left or right, whatever oh, one's the bad yeah. one. We would got the, we would have got the wrong swipe all the time. It's, <laughs> all, it's, it's awkward as hell watching two young kids like actually talk face to face. It's like, what do you? I don't think they can make eye contact when they do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> nah. They like look down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's and funny. Then, and then picking up girls, going to girls' houses and picking them up in a van—that was always a, that was always a favorite of mine. You know? <laughs> oh my god, I don't know how. And, and you're in some podunk town in Iowa, and you're picking a girl up, and her dad's just looking at you like. You don't even have any windows in that van. Yeah, I know. And it's got a couch in it, too. You want to see it? <laughs> yeah. Classic. Yeah, that takes some explaining. Uh, nah, dude, we have, we could go on forever, dude. We'll, we'll get you back on. We appreciate it. Uh, we got one more segment we do. It's called the higher low line, kind of a this or that. Um, yeah. Pick one or the other and a brief explanation. But the first one I got for you is – who are you more of a fan of, Valentino Rossi or Mark Marquez? Oh, that's a good one. I'm pretty good friends with Valentino. I've went and rode with him a bunch, and and uh, so I'd have to say Valentino. But I, I'm I'm really impressed with Marquez too, and I've never met him, so yeah, I'd say Valentino. All right, I got one for you. Uh, you you have to you have to race Speedway for a year or be a hill climber for a year. What's your route? What are you choosing? Wow, that's a good question because I've never rode a hill climb bike. I always wanted to, and I ne- that's one thing I never did. I've never rode a speedway bike, so I guess you're gonna bust your ass on, on both. 
Oh yeah, you're <laughs> listen. Riding a riding a hill climber is almost like riding a bull. Like the, even if you make it, you're you're still crashing. <laughs> it's like, you know. um, gosh, it would depend on where it was. I guess if I could race in the like in the in speedway in Europe, I'd do that. And I, if it was in the U.S., I'd do hill climb. I got offered to ride a speedway bike at a local track, and I was just about getting on the bike, and my dad put a he put a stop to that real quick. He said, uh, he said, he said, you, he said, you jump on that bike. You ain't riding mine the rest of the year. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, well, that's an easy decision. I'm, I got a pass, yeah. man. Uh, all right. I got, I got one for you. Give up sex for a year or give up your cell phone for a year. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> all right. Don't ask, I mean, don't ask a, a millennial that question, but you, I don't even need to talk. I mean, I, I'll, before you answered give up sex for a year, I was just going to say whatever B is, I'll give that up. I'm not giving up <laughs> sex for a year. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, all right. Would you rather uh, go one round toe-to-toe with Mike Tyson uh, or wrestle an alligator? Whew. I guess I'd have to say Mike Tyson because if you wrestle an alligator, you could die, but – you can and die Mike Tyson, I could just go, go down on the first punch when he hit me. So you can lose him here. You can lose him here. He's a much gentler man now. He's he's all right now. You know. Yeah, he's scary now. Um, I guess he's fighting again. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's making a comeback. Did you see any of his videos? He looks. He looks happy. pretty stout. He looks yeah. pretty good. All right, we're gonna do uh, one more each. Uh, who would you rather take a seven-day road trip with, Scott Parker or Jay Springsteen? Oh damn! Some good ones. That is a good one because they're both. I, I I had so much fun growing up with those guys, both of them. Uh, I got I I can't I can't choose. I would go, I like them both about that. You know what I mean? I, I both of them would be great. Probably probably Jay, just because we could do a, Jay's. You know, he would take me hunting and fishing more than Scotty. But Scotty okay. would probably drink more than Jay, so it depends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, last one from me. Um, man, I'm trying to think which one I want to do here. I'll uh, just do the do the Ohio one, Sammy. Uh, yeah, Ohio guy. We'll do an Ohio one. Um, okay, so Ohio, Moorhead or Rotor? Oh God, that's a good one too. I don't know. What 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 am I saying? When you say Ohio Moorhead or Rotor, what what's your whatever question? comes to what, mind, man? You know Ohio dirt track. Rotor, you know Moorhead, 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 Moorhead dominated, and and it was funny because Moorhead rode for Skip, and then I started riding for Skip, and we went to Springfield, Ohio for the first race, and Skip said, "All I want to do is beat Moorhead," which at that time meant you won the race. So I beat Moorhead. And Rotor won the race, and that was in '91. That's when Rotor started coming on really strong at all the Ohio half miles. So, I don't know. I like them both. They're both good guys. George yeah. Joe, or Joe was one of those dudes, man. He he would run through the hay bales to pass you. You know, Steve was was much much more refined. You know, he 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 was he was Steve was a was a mathematician of setting that bike up and getting the thing right. Joe would just hold on, and he was so strong. He'd just run off in there and grab a handful. 
Well, not a lot of guys know you as an Ohio rider, and me and Sammy were talking about it. It's like, man, is that because you were better on the clay tracks or you won clay tracks? I mean, man, if you won Lima, I, was I mean. terrible. I was terrible on clay tracks because I well, wanted first to win, throttle you know? penned, right? But I wanted to keep it penned all the time, and I would just smoke the tire. And then I finally learned how to ride a groove, shut the throttle off, two-wheel it. Then I couldn't ride the pea gravel near as good because I wasn't hammering it all the time. I, re- I used to ride pea gravel like you do speedway. I'd just come in wide open, never shut the throttle off, no matter what bike I was riding. You know, just steer it with the ass in. And then I finally learned how to ride uh, a clay track the proper way, and then I couldn't ride the pea gravel as good. So I was uh, that was about like 92, 93. I slowed down on the pea gravel and got way faster on the clay tracks. All right, we have one last question for you. Um, <laughs> and worm, where'd that come from? What's it mean? Explain it. Well, I could give you a bunch of really cool explanations, but <laughs> they'd all be a lie. Uh, so there was a guy named Nicky Fontana. Oh, yeah. You guys probably, you I remember him? Yeah, down from like Louisiana or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. And my sister is five years older than me. So when we used to go to the amateur national, she was hanging out with him. And they were kind of like boyfriend and girlfriend at the amateur nationals, and and he used and I used to follow him around everywhere because my dad go you go with them wherever they go you go, <laughs> and so he used to call me worm you little worm quit following us around and she my sister called me worm and ended up being the worm it was on the butt of my leathers when I was ten years old and that's how it happened but I like to, I like to say that it's because I used to like to get in dirty holes but that's you know <laughs> and I've also changed it it's not worm anymore it's big worm now. I changed big it as I got older. Worm. I changed it to Big Worm. <laughs> big Worm. Oh, Love man. it, man. That's Love awesome. it. Yeah. Well, dude, we appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so many good stories. We definitely want to bring you on. Thanks for having me, guys. I love I love reminiscing about the good old days. Yeah, thanks <laughs> Thanks for all the, the good laughs and, and, and your time, Larry. And uh, we'll, see you, we'll see you at Indy. Thanks, man. No worries, guys. Thanks, man. See you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Later. Larry Pegram. Wow. That, that was about as entertaining as an, an interview as you'll get on this show, baby. That was that was awesome. I didn't expect anything less from from the worm, from the big, big worm. worm, big worm, big worm. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was, was classic, awesome, Sammy. Man. It was a, a really good interview, and golly, we gotta have him back. He's one of my top three that I want to have back on for a second, a second interview. For sure. And, and uh, he got me thinking, dude. We gotta have Scott Stump on the show. We gotta get Stumpy on the show sometime too. Yeah, you know, I don't know why we haven't had Stump on. Well, that guy, that 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 might be a couple episodes right there, just talking to Stump. Yeah, and our, I, I guess I would rate our show PG thirteen, but with Scott Stump coming on, you there might be some hurt feelings. So. Uh, yeah, might have to screen, might have to screen the call a little bit, but no, nah, it was really cool talking to Pegram. It's like I mentioned, I just, you know, it's, he's still at it. He's, he's still competitive. The guy, he's, he does train. He's a cyclist. He's been working hard and yeah, just the dude's awesome, man. I, I really enjoyed that interview. Um, yeah, you know, we got some events coming up, Sammy. I know you want to talk about those. Um, yeah, we got. 
we got the, uh, well, the best Ohio summer series continues on. This time they're in uh, Galleon, Ohio, and that's uh, August 29th. They're going to run a short track and a TT, both on the same day. So that's August 29th, short track and TT. Talking to the guys from the Boss Series, I guess the short track's going to be a day race. The TT's going to be a night race, and that's uh, run in conjunction with the Sunset Ramblers Motorcycle Club. Uh, so should be a cool race, little uh, clay uh, short track. Should be pretty racy. Uh, more info on Facebook at Best Ohio Summer Series. Of course, as always, we'll post their race flyer up on our Instagram story. So make sure to screenshot that and check that out. You can catch it there as well. Yeah, make sure you follow us on Instagram. We post a lot of events and things like that, cool photos, etc. Um, want to give a shout out to a new sponsor of ours. I'm really excited about this one. You know, we had the Vancouver Flat Track Club that that sponsored a few of our episodes, so we had some Canadian flavor. Now we have some Germany events. The Crowd Race Series Over the Pond is putting on events in Germany that you need to be at. Sign up, baby. Flights are cheap. You can probably get a flight to Germany for pennies. You could probably spread out in the plane. Uh, they have probably like three hundred bucks right now. <laughs> I bet round trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the race is you know August twenty second and twenty third in Wolf's Lake, September nineteenth and twentieth in Parchim. I'm gonna say these all wrong. Uh, I'll give you some more details when I'm done. And then September twenty sixth and twenty seventh in North Hatst. North Hatst. That's a tough one. That's That's a a tough tough one. one. All of these events have a Saturday practice and Sunday race. The events have multiple classes, including newbie, mini bike, supergirl, pro, vintage, thunderbike, and hooligan. I think a few other ones. For the information, if you are a listener overseas in Europe and you want to check out this event, check out www.crowdrace.de. That's K R O W D. R-A-C-E dot D-E for more information. Check them out on social media. Uh, a, a lot a lot of cool stuff going overseas right now with races and things like that. So Crowd Race Series 2020. And if you have any information about that event and you're listening and we didn't explain it very well because we're struggling with the overseas city pronunciation, hit us up on social media and we'll get you that info. We'll get you the flyer. And we're going to also post that on our pages as well. Yeah, I mean, I was checking out some of the tracks actually on uh, through their uh, Facebook, and they look pretty sweet. I guess they, you know, I, I guess they would call it a the first race in Wolf Lake's a short track, but I guess similar to a quarter mile, they call it a 320 meter race. And then if I'm doing my math right, that's just shy of a quarter mile. But they have some half miles over what we would know as half miles as well and some it looks like some pretty neat dirt to race on so uh you can also follow them on facebook at crowd race and uh, as Corey said that's crowd with a k k-r-o-w-d-r-a-c-e yeah and once again want to shout out our sponsors bell power sports check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products appreciate their support dunlop tire their new and improved dt4 flat track tire to find the nearest dealer Visit DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Western Ohio Motorsports, LLC in Greenville, Ohio. They promote the races we talk about in Ohio, the Boss Series and events in Van Wert, Greenville, Harpster, Galleon, all around Ohio. They're, they're doing a really good job with their series. So check them out on Facebook for more information. Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems, CommercialRoofSystems.net. Just everybody that helps the show 
you know, and, and the fans and the listeners, you know, we love hearing from you guys. Leave us, leave us some reviews. Leave it, you know, we, we, we mentioned it a lot. We like the good and bad reviews. Tell us we suck when we're sucking. And, and yeah, we, we have fun with this show, man. Me, Carter and Sammy, we, we get on, we just love to just sit around bullshit and talk about racing. So definitely hit us up. Let us know any guests you want to hear any questions. Any mile this weekend, boys, we are full steam, man. I'm leaving tomorrow morning. So headed out doing the, the Thursday test Friday, Saturday race. I'm excited to get back at it, man. It was it was kind of a tease having, you know, we raced in July, two events, and then, like, another full month. But, um, yeah, so back at it. I'm, I'm fully recovered from the Briar Bauman bachelor party weekend, which was um, painful, but I seen a lot golf of carts flipped. I seen uh, you guys were motocrossing, man. I, all kinds of stuff. It looks like you guys had a blast. Yeah, we rented a moto track, Pagoda Motorcycle Club. Shout out to them in Birdsboro, Pennsylvania. Rented out Pagoda. Um, they Actually, they let us ride there, so that was really cool. Got the moto on Friday. And then Saturday, we went golfing. And I, I don't like golf, bro, to be honest. Like, I've golfed once in my life, and it was like 12 years ago. And I didn't I didn't think I liked golf. And then, we, you know, we're playing golf for four or five rounds into it. Things are pretty serious. And then, you know, the, the cart girl, they come around. They You can buy beer off the cart. And the cart girl rolls up, and there's a land shark sticker on the side of the cart. I was like, "Well, hell, this changes the game drastically." And yeah, by the by the ninth or tenth hole, we had we were golf cart deep in land shark cans, and and then we, you know, we Jake Johnson, you know, we souped up the golf carts. So instead of them going ten mile an hour they went like fucking 40 mile an hour. Like they were so fast, like, like way too, like holding them wide open was actually terrifying on a golf course. So, um, yeah, we just like we're racing and then a golf cart got flipped over and clubs are getting thrown. And yeah, so golfing's really fun. Actually, Sammy, I just didn't know how you, I didn't, I wasn't doing it right before. Um, yeah. I've but, done it once as well, like a long time ago. And uh, actually twice, I think there was a thing down, uh, like a charity golf thing one time I was a little part of, but I suck at it. And I've never done it like with a group of guys where you're just like drinking beers and having a good time. So maybe I'll have to give it another another swing. It was just funny how like it went from kind of serious to like not very serious to zero serious like it was like <laughs> just the chain of events and we didn't even we left at like the 15th hole we just couldn't go anymore like we flipped the golf cart and everyone on the course is like cheering and we're like we gotta go <laughs> so we just we got picked up rolled out and uh left our mark but no it was cool celebrating briar man i'm uh i'm pumped for the wedding hopefully We'll have to go golfing again for the weddings that like the day before or something. But um yep. So all recovered from the bachelor party weekend and ready to go for Andy. Looking forward to looking forward to seeing you guys in the stands and you know, I uh just appreciate all the all the support for the show and everything else. Yeah, definitely. You know, it kind of bummer for me. I, I, it's, you know, it's always a pleasure to run into people in the pits and say hi. And, uh, you know, understandably, uh, under the, the whole, you know, COVID deal right now, the fans have to stay, uh, separate from, uh, the pits or the paddock. And, uh, so I'm 
for me, it's a bummer not to see you guys, but I'll be there, man. If you spot me from the grandstands, don't be afraid to yell. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be looking for some of you guys in the stands. And I'm just, like I said, I'm like a kid waiting to go to Disneyland. I cannot wait for Andy. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't describe what it was like to make my first main event at, at a place like Indy. You know, it was the first time they, they came to the fairground during MotoGP weekend. So to have all those top MotoGP guys there and, that's still to to this day, Sammy. I've never seen that many people at a flat track race as I did at Indy 2008, the first MotoGP. You know, in conjunction with the MotoGP, it yeah. was packed. I mean, insane. Actually, it, you know what? That was uh, that was the last national I rode, and uh, for some reason, someone took a video clip of uh, like a heat race, you know, taken off the line, and. Uh, I can't believe like I'm on that starting line because like you see the uh, I have to post it on Instagram or something, but you see the crowd. It looks in it looks like MotoGP. There's like a bazillion people. There's light bulbs flashing and like you know. Then we take off off the line and you know everybody's banging gears and stuff. It's it's insane. Uh, that was that was a cool cool event. When well, the run. infield was packed too. Like there was I could barely get my bike to the starting like grid. Like all the all the European journalists and everyone yeah. like I felt like I was at Disney world. Like nobody was speaking English. Like it was like, everybody was like, it was like crazy. I I'd never seen anything like it. And just like casually yeah. walking around the pits and seeing just different MotoGP guys coming to watch us race. I'm like, well, that's pretty damn cool. So yeah, you yeah, know, it, I, it was I remember awesome. rolling out for like the semi or whatever. Uh, of course I didn't make it, but, <laughs> but you know, I remember rolling out for the semi and like, you know, leaving my, the back of my van, my pits, you know, and, uh, and r rolling up to the front. And it was like, just like literally mobs of people and like, just, you know, just all these MotoGP teams and speak people speaking, you know, different languages and stuff. And like, you know, and they were kind of like, you know, e even the, like I was even getting some attention, you know, people were like checking out the, you know, the motorcycles or whatever is, or, you know, you're pushing them up to the line. It was definitely a cool experience, you know, for sure. So, um, Unfortunately, uh, I don't think we're going to have that same experience this year, but I know that the racing is going to be every bit as good, if not better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I, uh, before we wrap it up, I think we saw, I saw a comment on social media where I think I sent it to you guys in our group chat, but one of the fans was, he didn't like our racing anymore because it's, it's, it's not real because oh, yeah. the riders don't wear they don't wear the right kind of boots. So he followed, he unfollowed the sport a long time ago because it's not the same. I don't know. It, it made no sense. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking like, well, first off you, you commented on a flat track podcast page. You said you haven't followed the sport in years, but you literally follow a flat track page where you commented on. And if you're worried about what freaking pair, what type of boots we're wearing gloves or leathers, and you're not focused on the racing that is phenomenal still, it's like, dude. You're missing out. The guy's, that guy's missing out. He's watching. He's paying attention to the wrong things. Well, he doesn't follow us, so it doesn't doesn't matter. Oh. So we're good. Well, that sucks. <laughs> maybe maybe we can win him over. Yeah. I'm going gonna to I'm gonna, I'm gonna find that guy, and I'm going to shoot him a message, and I'm going to see if I can win him over. 
I'll just send them a, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and turn one, right? And I'm going to stick my phone over the guardrail and I'm going to just record like 15 seconds of guys flying by. And then I'm going to send that guy that video and ask him if he cares what kind of boots they're wearing. Well, it'll be really good racing, but he'll bitch that there's not like a letter after our numbers or there's, you know, we're wearing one piece suits or, you know, some, hey. but yeah, you win him <laughs> over. You, he, he, you know, whatever we'll send him a couple st- tank slapping stickers like we'll drop some stickers in the mail there we go there we go <laughs> i'll win them over <laughs> all right guys well we're out of here it's, it's a late night it's my birthday yeah i was gonna say happy birthday man yeah well it's got like two hours left but <laughs> it's still your birthday yeah whatever so anyway guys thanks again for listening we appreciate you and we'll we'll catch you at the races peace see ya Shady Maple. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> When's the last time you've been to Shady? <laughs>